Hi, this is Mary Kay's Positivity Podcast. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher and life coach. I'm also author of several self-help books. I have a special guest, Siri Ibrahim, and he is host. Hi, Mary Kay. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, I get that question a lot. It's, um, it's, it was a little bit of a twist. So the, the kind of the financial journey started when I was a senior in high school. I started, I had to take a class. I think we all had to take a class at that time. It was called consumer economics. And the class, the class was pretty much like a very basic business class. It was how to write a check. What is it? What is a mortgage? What is interest? What is a credit card? And I really enjoyed that class because I felt like it was very applicable to to growing up and, and fulfilling a career and just pretty much um, getting to your financial goals. You needed to understand how those basic things work. And I wanted to make a career out of helping people reach those goals. So I got my MBA in business and I started to work at a couple of different insurance companies. I was mostly in sales and marketing. And I started to kind of bond with people and really talk and, and merge away from insurance and more into their finances, right? Like what's going on financially? What do they need to accomplish? How do we make this work for them? How do we protect what they're currently doing? And then I, I, I expanded onto that career, uh, became a financial strategist and also became a bank on yourself professional. So I'm part of the bank on yourself team. We help clients and real estate investors and business owners utilize the bank on yourself concept and that also led to the podcast thinking like a bank podcast which as you can probably tell by the title of it it's how to think like a bank we bring on attorneys and accountants and um, bankers and financial advisors financial advisors and we, we share creative strategies as to how what to do with your money and how you could apply it to your daily life Yeah. Um, so, so number one, um, consider this. Consider that on average, one third of our money goes to servicing debt. So one third of our money goes to servicing mortgages, car notes, credit cards, personal loans, student loans, all types of debt. So right. So everyone is already in the banking industry as we speak. Now it's just about so. So so step one of thinking like a bank is considering that, and then step two would be. Let's sit on the other side of the table, right? So we're constantly paying interest to lenders. How do we reverse that? How do we earn interest? And one of the ways is understanding how the bank on yourself concept works. There's a book called The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. I highly recommend the book. It talks, it talks, it goes into great detail as to how one person could do that, how one, how one can do that without actually creating a bank, without actually being a lender, without having a degree in finance, none of that stuff. This is exactly, this is taking what you're currently doing and then changing the table so that way you are earning the interest rather than giving it away to others.
Yes, yeah, starting early, keeping track, very tight records of your of your income, your expenses, your savings. And this right nowadays, you know, mid twenty towards the end of twenty twenty two, there's so much technology. It's overwhelming as to how much technology is out there. I actually believe it or not, for my personal stuff, I I just use a regular Excel sheet. That's all I use. I use an Excel sheet, and every day I keep track of how much is in my checking savings. Uh, and other asset places, and then as far as how much my credit card bills are as of that day, and other debts that I have. And what happens now is it creates like a game. Like every day, I'm logging into my accounts and documenting how much I have for that. I'm taking a snapshot every day of of how much that is. And let's just say, for example, I have a credit card bill and it's like a hundred dollars, and I'll be like, all right, you know what? I could just knock that out right now because obviously, like based off of the checking, based off of other thing, other accounts, I could just pay that right now. So it, it creates this game now of building up cash and building up assets versus decreasing debts and then even increasing income being self-employed i have control over that so that's kind of like something that i i recommend everybody to do is keep very tight records tight not records but keeping track of your finances it helps understand where you're at every time i meet with a client we go through a financial analysis meeting we go through all of their finances and about 90% of those meetings clients tell me they've never gone through all of their finances at once like that, like they did. So it's a big problem, right? That leads to other problems. It leads to utilize, using more debt. It leads to not having a savings plan. It leads to a lot of people I work with, um, they're making good money, right? They, they're making well over $100,000 a year, but they haven't saved. And like the, they haven't saved a dollar in the last 10 years because they're constantly spending it. They're only, it's not on their mind, right? It's not on their mind. So I think that keeping track of your the money going in and money leaving your pocket makes a big difference. That's like the basic first step I would recommend. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I've also, I, 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 I myself was like that too, where if I had a lot of debt at a certain time or my account was too low, I wouldn't want to look at it. I would want to avoid it. But that absolutely does nothing to your finances, right? You have to confront it. You have to realize it. You have to be realistic, bring it to reality, and then take realistic actions to solve those problems. There's no the first step to solving a problem is looking at the problem, identifying the problem, describing the problem, right? Like really, really taking it in. That's the first step to solving a problem. And the same thing is true when you have a financial problem. You have to really absorb, you have to stare at it, you have to kind of analyze it, you know, and then you can start solving, you can start taking actionable steps, but you can't take actionable steps towards something you don't really understand yet or you haven't really fully analyzed. Yeah, I think that one mistake that people make is they're making kind of decisions. And I was like this too, in, in the moment, like today I'm feeling, I'm not feeling that wealthy today. So I'm going to do certain things that could potentially make me feel more, more wealthy. Or then you get your paycheck, but then that goes out the window. You're, you're fine now today. You're fine. 
this week you're good. And then next week, I, again, it go, it's, like, it's like a roller coaster. Rather, I think that it, it would help if you have principles that you stick to, right? You have goals and principles, and they're, they're as quantitative as possible, where you can measure them, you could see them, you could track them precisely, you could track them. As, as if somebody were to ask you, how much money did you make three years ago in March, April, May, three years ago? And then you'd be able to tell them exactly how much that was and the differences between this. So you understand quantitatively, you understand how much you're making, how much you're spending. And then you also have goals, right? So like um, you have certain principles where it's every dollar you make, five five percent or five cents goes to a certain account. So five percent of all the income goes into a certain account and that account you have is a it's like a one-way account money only goes into it money doesn't come out of it unless it's for an investment or emergency so you start you start kind of creating these rules for yourself and a financial planner could help with this a financial strategist could help with this and then that brings me to my next point is that it helps a lot when you have a mentor and have a coach same thing in the business world right being an entrepreneur one of the first steps to becoming an entrepreneur and staying as an entrepreneur that's key staying as an entrepreneur not just starting off as an entrepreneur but staying as an entrepreneur is having a mentor, having a coach, having somebody who's done exactly what you're doing at a, 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 a much further pace. So that way you have something to mimic, you have something to model and someone to learn from. Same thing in financial strategy, right? You need somebody to mentor you and coach you and help you kind of not necessarily find shortcuts, but find more efficient ways of doing certain things. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think failure, it's one of my favorite things to be transparent. I think it's a component. It's a, it's a prerequisite for success. Like it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a minimum requirement, right? You have to be able to go through it. You have to be able to handle it. Um, success, in my opinion, is just one step closer to your goal. And I think that not handling, not handling failure um, prevents you from handling success, right? If failure is a hard thing to digest, then it's going to make entrepreneurship hard. It's going to make investing hard. It's going to make a lot of other things in life harder to accomplish if you can't really be comfortable with failure. Um, if you look at, for example, like, I mean, I, there's there's so many ways to answer this. There's so many examples to give. But like, if you, even the largest companies, if you think about like Apple, right, like iPhone, you know, the iPhone is probably their thousand failure that made it you know they probably had so many other technologies and hardware and all these ideas that they had but the iphone was the one that made it so it was all that failure that led to something so useful and so present today and and the same is true in every you know um thomas um edison's quote he, you know he it took him 10 you know he says that he didn't fail ten thousand times creating the light bulb he just found ten thousand ways that didn't work same true same exact thing right it's like the entrepreneur who 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 starts a business who starts three companies and the all three of them fail and the fourth one is, is a success overnight and everyone will look at that overnight success and say oh you you know that was the easiest thing you know you had to do was just start a business and it's like no not necessarily i thought i had to also fail three times before so all those failures before um progressed and transcended into the next level they they transferred into the next level helping the next goal Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, this is a question I get a lot on podcasts and in, in during client meetings. And I'd say that, so I would take a step back, right? So some businesses, right, um, are scalable in the sense that you can constantly keep reinvesting cash and keep growing your money. And some businesses are not as scalable. Some businesses take a much longer time to return that capital that you've invested into it. So there's pros and cons to both. Right. The, the, the benefits of reinvesting cash back into your business, typically you get tax deductions for that. So you're constantly buying new inventory, new services, new subscriptions, hiring new people. So you're saving on taxes that way, in essence. And then you are essentially making more money with that. Right. So like you might have you might create this formula in your business where every dollar you invest into it turns into one point one dollars three months later. So that means that if you took that $1.1 and reinvested that, it would turn into 1.21 and then 1.35 and then so on. So there's a reinvesting component. But however, not all businesses are like that. And this is something that I made a mistake with too. I thought once I found out about that little principle, I thought that that's 100% applicable to everyone in every business. And that's not true at all. You can actually lose a lot of money by just applying somebody else's principle into your own business. So and then the disadvantage to reinvesting back into your business is lack of liquidity, right? You're spending money again. You might not necessarily, the tax deductions might not necessarily be applicable to you, right? You're not making that much money to write off that much income. Again, this is another mistake business owners make is that they think that if something is tax deductible, that it's automatically a, the best fit for them. It's, you know, what's the point of deducting taxes if you're not even making money to begin with? You know what I mean? So. So that's so these are the kind of things that there's pros and cons to both. I think maybe what if there's a way where you can do both? What if there's a way where you could save cash, grow your cash accounts, your liquid reserves, and be able to reinvest back in your business at the same time? And there is a way. If you read the book, The Bank on Yourself Revolution, there's a way if you if you um read through the chapter, I forgot what chapter it was, I think it was like chapter nine of that book. It talks about using it, it talks about doing that, building up your reserves and then leveraging your reserves to reinvest back into your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so real estate investors have usually, um, look, one thing that a lot of real estate investors, I'm talking about active investors. So these are people who are actively engaged in real estate. There's a difference between passive that I'll get into in a second. But we're talking about active real estate investors. And one of the most important things, right, with investing in real estate, when you hear about somebody who has 100 real estate properties, it's not because they have all that cash, right, laying around and they just bought 100 real estate properties. It's leverage. 
and it's leverage on top of leverage. So they bought one property, they rented it out, they did a cash out refinance, they put as a down payment on a second property, and so on. So they're constantly looking for capital. They're constantly looking for money from banks, direct lenders. This is where, like, kind of like a mortgage, you're directly borrowing from a bank, leveraging your house as collateral. And then it could be in the form of like secondary or alternative financing, where you're borrowing from other people or other entities along with along with the banks. So the point here is that real estate investors are constantly looking for